The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Help, I need somebody. Help, not just anybody. Help, you know I need someone. Welcome to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. Family caregivers don't have to be alone in their experiences. You will hear from experts and other caregivers facing the same issues that you may be facing. Now, here is your host, Dr. Gordon Atherley. Welcome to Family Caregivers Unite. This is your host, Dr. Gordon Atherley. I'm a physician trained in Britain. I'm living in Canada and I've worked in the U.S., Since retiring from medical practice, I've become an activist for family caregiving, which explains the name of the show, Family Caregivers Unite. Our topic today is Ties Networks for Family Caregivers. Now, here's what I've learned from the 70-some episodes of Family Caregivers Unite, and it is that communications are very, very important for family caregivers. So often the case is that the family caregiving begins unexpectedly, perhaps there's a medical diagnosis of a condition for which there's no medical cure, and the family caregiver is left with the feeling that they're alone. The only treatment is care, and so often the care, the only care, is the care that family caregivers provide. To understand what they do and what they need to do, they turn to other family caregivers who've traveled the road of family caregiving. And very often, experienced family caregivers, and I've heard this on, on um, Family Caregivers Unite, uh, they actually stop what they're doing, so to speak, look out over their shoulders for family caregivers just starting out on the road of family caregiving and hold out a hand. Now, to talk about these communication leads and these communication uh, developments, my guest today is Vicky Kamak. Um, Vicky finds and implements innovative solutions in the social sector. She's president and CEO of Ties Personal Networks. She's a recognized Canadian source of inspiration and demonstrable solutions. And these are related to social networks, social innovation, citizenship, and disability. At TIES, she focuses on how best to deliver online personal support networks to people facing life challenges. She's the founding director of the PLAN, that's P-L-A-N Institute, and co-founder of the Planned Lifetime Advocacy Network, a pioneer social enterprise supporting families to secure the future of their family member with a disability. She created the personal network program of PLAN as a unique response to the isolation and loneliness experienced by people with disabilities. And in 2008, the Women's Executive Network named her one of Canada's top 100 most powerful women. So, welcome to the show, Vicky. Thank you very much. It's a delight to be here, Gordon. Great. Now, I'm going to wade in straight away by asking you some pretty 
sort of direct questions. First of all, please tell us more about your reasons for setting up Ties Networks. Well, you're, that was a fantastic introduction that you just did, and uh, one of the uh, points that you spoke to in terms of my introduction was um, my earlier work with an organization called PLAN. And in, that, in my work at PLAN, which was supporting um, families of people with disabilities to secure the future, um, we understood that the big issue facing families was uh, concern about the isolation and vulnerability of their relative. And in response to that challenge, we created a program to create personal networks. And over 20 years of experience, we saw the power and the potential of these networks. And the networks are comprised of families, the individual and their families, and friends and neighbors. And we saw the power and potential of these networks to literally um, transform lives. And we wanted to uh, get that knowledge of, one, the potential of personal networks and, um, and then the, uh, the knowledge related to how to create them out into the water supply, if you will, and uh, to have this knowledge and these tools at the hands of all kinds of individuals who might be vulnerable in isolation. And those would include uh, people facing illness, um, people providing care for a loved one, and uh, we decided that the, uh, the, the, the social web was our, our major tool to distribute it. And uh, that's why we created TIES. In healthcare, as you know, and we often talk about it on, uh, on this, this particular show, is that the idea of the circle of care, which includes family caregivers and obviously the family members they're caring for. So please tell us the ways in which Ties Network supports the idea of the circle of care. Well, Ties Personal Networks are uh, fundamentally a, a, a collaboration and communication and connection tool for the circle of care. They've been very specifically developed to enable that circle of care to collaborate. We have thousands of users of TIES, uh, people with chronic illnesses and cancer, um, adult children caring for their parents. Um, certainly each and every network is unique. Uh, and some of, the, um, some of the networks may focus very specifically around uh, scheduling tasks and events uh, related to the very specific care uh, needs of an individual. Others are uh, used a great deal for updating uh, information and, uh, uh, that uh, is relevant to the person. Um, sharing stories and photos is another function. Um, a story that might begin to illustrate um, you know, the, uh, the way that TIES is used uh, is uh, a story of a man named Charles in, uh, in northern Scotland and his son John living in Vancouver starting the TIES network and including uh, another daughter Anne in Sydney and another daughter Marie in Singapore, a neighbor right next door to 86-year-old Charles in northern Scotland and his osteopath. So that's a very widespread circle of care uh, that functioned incredibly effectively in supporting Charles to the end of his life um, that technology has enabled. Okay. Now, 
I want to, Vicky, ask you this question of some examples. You, you had an example in answer to your last question, but the way in which family caregivers and family members, um, the family members they're caring for, the sort of broad range of things that they you help them with and how you help them with those things. Sure. So I can tell you um, I've got uh, lots of great stories uh, to share. And so ties, uh, I want to emphasize that ties are online personal networks. And the number of members in a network can range probably you know, from four to really to 50. Most of our networks are small, you know, they're in the six to ten range and that's really what we've created the tool to be as a way for a small group to coordinate and connect and care. So here's a story about um, uh, Joan, uh, a woman who uh, went into hospital with a, a very, uh, with a life-threatening acute illness and that required multiple surgeries and was really touch and go uh, when she went in. Joan is 60 years old, uh, lives alone. On her network are her sisters, um, a couple of family friends, and a neighbor. And what they did over the course of her, her uh, time in the hospital was certainly communicate about uh, visiting hours, surgery outcomes, all of those kinds of things. And uh, once Joan's condition settled, uh, Joan is somebody who's lived with uh, depression all of her life, and, and uh, she was certainly pretty down. And, uh, and once her condition settled, she was told that she could leave hospital, but that she could not go back home because she could no longer transfer herself from her wheelchair to, uh, or from her bed to her wheelchair. So what her network did, and it had grown a bit over time as more friends got involved and so on, um, the sisters uh, and, and the network worked with the physiotherapist and set very, very specific goals uh, with Joan and the physiotherapist and all began to work with her on achieving these goals. Um, they got Joan out. It was during the time of the Olympics here in Vancouver. Uh, they began you know, doing the exercises together, and I'm very, very happy to report that Joan has gone home. And I, I think this is a fantastic example of Joan uh, getting a good life, what she, where she's living, where she wants to be, and of her sisters, her primary caregivers, to actually get the support of, um, to be able to coordinate the, the information from the medical or the physiotherapist um, work and uh, the contributions of the larger network to achieve an outcome that's great for Joan, great for the caregivers, and um, really great for, in all honesty, the healthcare system because it actually is a cost-effectiveness piece that she did not have to go into care. Would you say, would you go so far as to say that that happy outcome of Joan going home would not have happened had there network not functioned in the way that it did? Absolutely. She was slated to head right to extended care. And it was, uh, of course, her sister who uh, raised the red flag. I mean, she knew Joan would never want that to happen. And um, she didn't want to see her sister go there either. And that's what really got things um, mobilized amongst the, the, the network. And Ties was just a great tool to coordinate all of that. 
So this really fits very squarely, doesn't it, with what we'll call the government policy. And this is true in many countries, United States, Canada and in Europe, where the best bet from everybody's point of view, if it can be made to work, is for the person um, to be cared for at home. So would it be right then to say that what you've just described, the way the network functions actually is in sync with our go government public healthcare policy on a very, very wide scale. Is that a fair, fair point? Yeah, um, absolutely. Um, and I would say that that's government policy as it currently exists. I think that there's some real interesting possibilities about where it, it might obviously expand and extend itself to support family caregivers, but there's lots of evidence that suggests that even when we give um, family caregivers a, a low level of support, that it does absolutely result in more homestay days. Um, and, uh, you know, this is what everybody wants. I mean, that, that's the other uh, part of this. And, and so there's, there's sort of the two sides of, of the, the coin. I mean, one is the first and foremost is, is let's get the outcomes that the individual and those closest to them want. And then two, um, fantastic, that it actually saves the system money and helps it right. to function more effectively. Now, that's a good moment for us to take a short break because we too have to pay the rent. This is Dr. Gordon Adderley and my guest is Vicky Kamak. You're listening to Family Caregivers Unite on the Voice America Variety Channel. Please stay with us. We're coming... The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Listen for Trust Across America every week on the Voice America Variety Channel. Tune in as host Jordan Kimmel is joined by national experts in the fields of accounting, finance, organizational behavior, and sustainability, as well as companies that are applying strategies that are enabling them to be recognized as doing the right thing by the American Trust Awards. Your host Jordan Kimmel is himself a trusted professional with years of experience in applying strategies and consulting with today's leading firms. Trust Across America is heard Wednesdays at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific on Voice America Variety. If you hear a dog barking or an angel singing, then you know that you are listening to Waking Up in America. Heard every Wednesday at 3 Pacific Time, Valerie Kirkard and all of her friends will bring you powerful and humorous discussions that raise thoughts and give you insight on how to live your life to its fullest potential. Adventure is always a must on Waking Up in America with Valerie Kirkard every Wednesday at 3 Pacific. Ah, life is good. We don't need to worry about anything. We've got a rock-solid government to make sure all is well. Our dollar and financial future are strong, and everything is going to be okay. Think again. We're in a financial crisis, and our government and financial systems are failing. You need to prepare and protect yourself and your family. Tune in to The McHale Report with Karen McHale. Our program will tell you exactly what needs to be done right now. Listen every Friday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. And get set. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. Well, you know I need someone. 
You are listening to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. If you have any questions or comments about our program, please address them by email to docg at mymonami.com. That's doc, letter G, at M-Y-M-O-N-A-M-I dot com. Now, back to Family Caregivers Unite. Welcome back to our listeners to Family Caregivers Unite and our guest, Vicki Kamak. Our topic is Ties Networks for Family Caregivers. So now let's talk about the why and how of family caregivers and their need to communicate among themselves. Why do they need to do it so much and how do they do it? So first, Vicky, please describe the circumstances in family caregivers communicating um, in which it's, that is so important. And just as a kind of supplementary question to that, uh, is this what's called a collaborative approach to care? And if so, does it change or should it change the way we think about family caregiving? Vicki? Sure. Um, well, Gordon, I think we'll start actually with the, um, the, the, the first or the second part of your question, which is, um, is this uh, what's called the collaborative approach to care? Um, what we're trying to affect uh, with ties um, is what I would describe as a shift from an individual model of care to a network model of care. And it is really uh, a shift of our systems to not just be treating a person in isolation. Uh, we all have better health outcomes. Uh, we, use less, we use health services more efficiently and effectively when we have um, people who are uh, close to us supporting us. And we know um, that, in fact, today, 80% of our care is given by uh, family caregivers. It's unpaid. It's the informal care system. And the shift that needs to happen is the support of this system Um, and uh, really finding tools that information can be shared from formal medical system, if you will, uh, into the informal or family caregiver, the circle of care uh, around an individual. Um, So that's the shift that I would like to see when we think about the collaborative approach or the change in the way that we think about family caregiving. I I really want to see the value of family caregivers seen as co-creators of the best health outcomes for people, not as, um, you know, recipients in some way to be trained or, um, you know, possibly uh, (laughs) included in a... a, um, uh, you know, a, a care planning session, but as actual uh, providers of solutions and deliverers of such critical care. Right. Let's talk about the health conditions. Um, what are the health conditions that you would identify that make collaborative care so important for family caregivers? And why uh, is the family caregiving of the collaborative kind so important relative to these, these types of health conditions? Well, we do have certainly a growing number of people living with long-term chronic conditions um, and certainly the rise in um, dementia. Um, these are, uh, you know, aging is another area and uh, disability. And, and these four strands, if you will, um, chronic health conditions, 
aging, dementia, and disability actually often all weave and braid together. And this makes for very complex care situations. And this does then, and they last over time too. They're not immediate sort of acute situations. Somebody has broken a leg or whatever. They, these are, these are over, over the long run. And so it's very important uh, that we do find collaborative uh, uh, ways to support an individual. And this collaboration needs to run both ways. One is uh, collaboration from the immediate uh, circle of care, those closest to the individual. It can't just all fall on one person, whether it's uh, a husband, a wife, a sister, that you know, really it's about collaboration around a broader circle. And then it's also collaboration between what I've just described as the formal and the informal systems of care um, to, uh, to support people over the long haul. Um, and I would say, uh, lastly, that you know, a tool like Ties, um, where it provides a particularly uh, valuable piece in the whole equation, is that um, the person at the center of the circle of care is not just seen for their needs. Um, that Ties is really structured to help people celebrate who the person is beyond their condition <laughs> and beyond their current circumstances and to allow, allow those that love the person to also celebrate uh, that, that part as well as uh, connect and collaborate around their care needs. The, the idea of celebration is a very important and also a challenging one because the, the kind of conditions that you've mentioned and I think more of the same that you're thinking about really don't have cures, do they? they? They are the kind of conditions that once the diagnosis has been made, um, there may be help that can be offered, but there certainly can't be cure. So in that sense, uh, the outlook, the prognosis, as doctors like to say, isn't very encouraging. So the idea that there's a celebration of something seems to me profoundly important. Please say more about how that idea of celebration and what they celebrate uh, in relation to the kind of conditions that I've just been mentioning. Well, you know, um, everybody um, has something to contribute. And um, when, when we go into, as you noted, you know, into medical systems, we're really just only identified for our needs. What's wrong with that? What, what are the problems? Um, but that isn't the entire experience of, um, of the individual or those providing care, even in difficult circumstances. There can be moments of humor. There can be moments of remembrance. There can be uh, moments of um, just pure joy, sometimes in sitting in silence and, and peace. Um, you know, sometimes I, um, I think about a, a quote by a very... A brilliant woman named Bonnie Sherry Klein, a Canadian who found herself um, with a permanent, uh, quite complex disability related to a series of strokes, and she describes her own in her own circumstances uh, the act of asking others for uh, for help, and um, she sees that that moment of asking as actually an opportunity for the others who who are her caregivers and her lover and and who love her as actually offering opportunities for them to be their most human in extending that care. And uh, I think that those are the deeper aspects that uh, we need to do. We need to take time to celebrate and to acknowledge and um, that while the, the relationship may have shifted because of circumstance, 
it's it's not all it's not all bad. <laughs> there are positive things being drawn out in us as caregivers, um, and there are beautiful things that emerge in our loved ones in these um, very difficult moments, and that may be seeing their courage, it may be seeing their perseverance, their resilience, uh, their tolerance, uh, all of those things. I'm going to change change the uh, theme just as just in a an immediate way. Big question. Uh, Vicky, this is the age of technology and online communications and all those sorts of things. How do these fit into your picture of collaborative care? Well, I think there's, uh, there's two, two pieces here I'd, I'd like to speak about. One, just in terms of, uh, you know, we, we live in very uh, often geographically dispersed places, as my earlier story about gentlemen in northern Scotland illustrated. Um, also, uh, many of us who are providing care are actually uh, working today. And so, for example, uh, a group of uh, uh, would be primarily women who may have been available uh, even as little as two decades ago are no longer available. And so uh, technology is a fantastic tool to help enable collaboration. And uh, I'm thinking about a brother and sister team that recently uh, wrote to us and they were talking about caring for their mother who was uh, in um, the later stages of cancer. And what they said is that ties help them keep their job. <laughs> so there is you know, an immediate application of the technology that uh, is about today. Uh, another theme I'd like to speak about as well, though, that I think is very, very relevant to this question is um, using technology to bridge uh, formal and informal systems of care. Um, today, we see a lot of technology that are, that's coming out in healthcare. Uh, and one, uh, one strand of technology is related to all the healthcare records. Another strand of technology is related to all of the medical devices and ambient assisted living. Well, from my perspective, the third leg on that stool must be an individual and their, their circle of care as, um, as really what enables all the other technology. And, um, uh, you know, the, it, it needs to be... Uh, a bridge, if you will, between the formal and the informal systems, because um, there's not—it's not trying to integrate them. The the formal system tends to operate with high values of efficiency, effectiveness, accountability, and I I want my formal healthcare system to operate that way, but that is not how uh, my friends and my family and my neighbors operate. And so the value of the technology is that you can actually share this information without, if you will, um, infusing one culture with the other. They, they can stay separate, yet collaborate and share information. That's very interesting. Um, and I'm hope, I hope we'll get a chance to go back to that question because I think that very much needs exploring. But again, it is time for us to take the break. This is Dr. Gordon Adelaide. My guest is Vicky Kamak. You're listening to Family Caregivers Unite on the Voice America Variety Channel. Stay tuned. We're coming. Streaming live. The leader in Internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com. 
If you are looking for a real political discussion from more than one viewpoint, make sure you tune in to No Labels Radio with Nancy Jacobson and Mark McKinnon. It's not left, not right, but forward. As part of the No Labels movement, which promotes common sense solutions to our country's most pressing problems, our program will feature hot political topics with serious players driving a national conversation. Listen for No Labels Radio every Thursday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Let's think forward. To perform at your maximum potential, you need to have all aspects of your life working properly. On Mind, Brain, and Body, Dr. Michael John Kell will bring you honest, open discussions concerning your physical, mental, and financial health. If you're ready to find purpose and meaning in your life, tune in to Mind, Brain, and Body every Friday at 8 a.m. Pacific. Mind, Brain, and Body on Voice America Health & Wellness. Radio dedicated to your health, wealth, wisdom, and purpose. Bullies enrage us. In tough economic times, we are motivated by fear, and this causes people to mistreat others. It doesn't just happen to school kids. You'll find it in the workplace, school, and over the Internet. Oftentimes, people feel that they have nobody to turn to or no legal recourse. Don't be enraged. Engage. Tune in to Bullies on Blast with your host, Aunt Delta Dawn. We'll expose bullies and strive to save the lives of those who are being bullied. Listen Wednesdays at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Talk, talk, talk. That's all we do is talk. If you'd like to talk, call us toll-free right now at 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. That's it. VoiceAmerica.com. You know I need someone. You are listening to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. If you have any questions or comments about our program, please address them by email to docg at mymonami.com. That's doc, letter G, at M-Y-M-O-N-A-M-I dot com. Now, back to Family Caregivers Unite. Welcome back to our listeners to Family Caregivers Unite and Vicki Kamak. Our topic is Ties Networks for family caregivers. Now, um, Vicky was talking before the break about the way in which communications work, and she made the point that maybe there was more than one form of communication. So what I'd like to ask you now is, well, what about the communications between the family caregivers and the professional caregivers like nurses and physicians physical therapists and other people who are part of what I call the formal system. Vicki? Sure. Um, you know, there, there has been, uh, in all fairness, I think a lot of effort by the formal system to, um, to create tools for family caregivers. Uh, but often those tools are things like education programs, and uh, maybe uh, peer support groups and so on. And while I certainly highly value uh, a peer support as a a very uh, fundamental and profound resource for family caregivers, um, these these are tools um, that are different than actually seeing family caregivers as co-creators or co-producers of care outcomes. 
Um, so while it's all well and good to create these other tools and uh, information sharing resources, um, it's really a shift to say, um, we want to collaborate with you. We, we need, in fact, to work with you to create the best outcomes. And the biggest shift of all, I think, is a shift to seeing uh, families as um, sources of innovation, sources of uh, solutions that would not and could not actually be created within formal systems. I actually think Joan's story is an interesting example of, of, of that. Yeah. That's the woman who was uh, with the, uh, you know, who was able to go home with the support of her network. Right, right. Let's just stay with this question because I think it's extremely important. Um, how then would, in your ideal world, the family caregiver uh, become part of the circle of care that the professionals normally, I'm going to say dominate, but certainly direct? How do you see them getting inside that particular network so they're treated as providers of care, innovative providers of care in the way that you've just been talking. Vicky? So part of it is one, um, un, uh, first off, uh, acknowledging that there is a, a co-creation of, of the outcome. So from the professional perspective, this really is a culture shift. Um, that involves, so if you want somebody to co-create something with you, it involves information sharing in ways that are uh, practical. Uh, for a family, and so I'll give you an example on ties. We're about to have the capacity, for example, to have a drop box right into the site so that a professional could actually drop relevant information right into an individual's personal network um, that is uh, related, for example, to a care transition or post-operative instructions or new medications. So immediately, the right people have the information. So information sharing is is a part of um, uh, that story. Um, I think the other uh, the other thing I'd like to talk about in terms of uh, of uh, contributing to this shift is is a, a broader appreciation from the formal system about understanding um, beyond the medical information related to the individual, uh, the understanding about what is their functioning, how are they doing, are they happy in their day-to-day -day life um, as things are, um, what, you know, what would be uh, the most effective kind of support to help this individual have a good life living, if, if this is what they want, living at home. Uh, these are very, very different. It's a very different frame than saying, um, how can I reduce the blood pressure? Or the blood, uh, yeah. So, uh, uh, you know, it, it, it's, again, it's, uh, this is really about a, uh, a pretty profound uh, cultural shift uh, within, uh, within the formal system. And I believe for family caregivers, it's about a shift of, um, of us taking our space. Uh, and I know this is not easy when we're dealing uh, often in we're very vulnerable when our when our loved ones are not well, and um, we're not encouraged often to share the information that we have and the knowledge that we have about about our loved one. And um, we we need to take that space. We need to make sure as much as we can that it is uh, documented, that it is um, heard. What I've also heard on this show is times when family caregivers felt unsupported 
by the healthcare system to such an extent that they had to take things on to do things for themselves that they really didn't feel uh, they were trained for or properly equipped to do. So that's one challenge that I think has, I, I would suggest to you, has to be uh, dealt with. And I think another one is that um, the way in which we're starting to look at these diseases is changing. And again, I'm going to just mention previous episodes, but I did one on dancing and um, Alzheimer's disease, where there's a dance class being offered. I interviewed a man whose wife has Alzheimer's disease, and afterwards they listened to the um, listened to the recording, and um, it brought them very close together because the wife, despite the Alzheimer's disease, was able to recall their life as childhood sweethearts. So in that sense, uh, what if I've understood you right, what you're talking about is not just care in the sense of medications or even making people comfortable, but it's a sense of the quality of the lives they lead and the relationships they have with people who are very close to them. How far, how far do you agree or disagree with that? that I've just said? Absolutely. I think that's a beautiful story, Gordon. Thanks for sharing it. And um, that, is, um, that really is the point um, of uh, you know, th th what you just described in terms of what uh, happened for that couple. Like, that is something uh, that our medical and social care systems cannot provide. This is something that can actually only be provided by uh, those who love us. Those, you know, this, this, uh, you know, whether we want to call it this informal system, this voluntary care, um, natural care, however we want to frame it, um, that is a whole source of um, sustenance uh, that is not available in formal systems, and we we. Um, and most of us wouldn't want to live without it, is the reality. Uh, yet, so much of the way that we do formally provide care completely excludes it right, and discounts right. it as, as being valuable. Yes, because there's in the past been so much emphasis, and it's not wrong, this, uh, this emphasis, but this sense of it's medications or surgery or nothing, but yeah. the nothing uh, is becoming really the growth area of something very important. Now I want to ask you the same set of, same sort of questions but in a rather different context and that is what I call the culture faith-based immigrant communities because I've begun to do episodes interviewing them uh, because I think um, first of all they have particular challenges but I also think that in some ways we have things to learn from them so I'm just wondering if you've anything you've any experience anything you'd like to say about family caregiving in the cultural communities the faith-based communities uh, that have perhaps come to Canada and brought their families with them well I will say um you know, some of our very, very early work, and this was certainly before ties, um, uh, but it was around uh, this idea of the, the role of, uh, of networks, of our personal networks, and the support they could provide uh, was informed by two things. And one was um, Joan Callwood's uh, very, would be in the 80s, her book, uh, Six Weeks in Spring, about an, an individual being able to uh, uh, die at home essentially with the support of her friends 
And then another seminal piece for us was um, something called uh, supportive care in the congregation. And this happened to come out of the, uh, the Mennonite community. And the, the, the point of, the, of this piece by Henry Nowen was that uh, congregations uh, really can provide care and support beyond Sunday. And, uh, and, and we certainly have um, seen interest in our work from, from various uh, church groups and so on that are beginning to, uh, well, they're not just beginning, they're, you know, they're actively engaged uh, with, their, with members of their congregation and are looking for ways to coordinate the care that they provide. Very interesting, because I think that here we have an opportunity, and I'm now <laughs> kind of advocating to you, which I guess I shouldn't be, but I think we have an opportunity now to understand and to reach out because there's a commonality, and there's all kinds of commonalities. That is to say there's no faith-based group that is immune to Alzheimer's disease. Um, family is a common thread, and family caregiving and family responsibilities are a common thread. And what I find myself saying to them all is, you may be talking about a cultural or a faith-based concept, but you're actually talking about government policy or healthcare system policy. And that was exactly the point I made to you earlier. So in that sense, bringing uh, the connections, the communications, the, the discussion to these communities, and maybe there are language issues, but I'm sure we can deal with those, and maybe there are distance issues, and I'm sure we can deal with those. And so I'm really looking to you and people like you <laughs> to take the lead on those sorts of healthcare challenges because there may be a very broad consensus on just how important they are. Now, it is time to take the break again. And when we come back, I'm going to ask you to talk about what more we can do uh, to, ro if I may use the term, roll out the idea of collaborative care. So let's take the short break. This is Dr. Gordon Natalie, and my guest is Vicky Kamak. You're listening to Family Caregivers Unite on the Voice America Variety Channel. Stay tuned. We will be back. Talk, talk, talk. That's all we do is talk. Yeah! If you'd like to talk, call us toll-free right now at 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. That's it. That's it. VoiceAmerica.com. Listen for Trust Across America every week on the Voice America Variety Channel. Tune in as host Jordan Kimmel is joined by national experts in the fields of accounting, finance, organizational behavior, and sustainability, as well as companies that are applying strategies that are enabling them to be recognized as doing the right thing by the American Trust Awards. Your host Jordan Kimmel is himself a trusted professional with years of experience in applying strategies and consulting with today's leading firms. Trust Across America is heard Wednesdays at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific on Voice America Variety. 
Healing occurs from the inside out. To awaken and activate the body's healing mechanisms, your emotions and thought patterns must be addressed and aligned with your truth. These concepts are discussed in detail on The Light Within, Awakening the Inner Healer, with host Joan Jacobs. We'll introduce you to a new way to interpret and address your body's language of symptoms and how to turn disease into a platform of profound personal growth. Tune in to The Light Within every Monday at 10 a.m. U.S. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Ask Theo Live is talk radio like you've never heard before. Following her near-death experience, world-renowned author and spiritual medium Sheila Gillette became the direct voice channel for Theo, a consortium of 12 archangels. Through this unique channel, Sheila and her co-host Marcus Gillette present you with an opportunity to speak directly with Theo live on air on any topic you wish to discuss, including receiving authentic messages from deceased loved ones and angelic guides. Get the answer you need by tuning in to Ask Theo Live Talk Radio. Tuesday mornings at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time on 7th Wave Network. News. Opinion. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. You know I need someone. You are listening to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. If you have any questions or comments about our program, please address them by email to docg at mymonami.com. That's doc, letter G, at M-Y-M-O-N-A-M-I dot com. Now, back to Family Caregivers Unite. Welcome back to our listeners to Family Caregivers Unite and Vicki Kamak. Our topic is Ties Networks for Family Caregivers. I want to talk about now uh, with you, Vicki, about the ways in which more can be done to promote collaborative care among family caregivers using the technology and the techniques that you've been discussing talking about but what more can be done so let's talk about the, the kind of services that you offer what more can you do uh, to roll out this uh, concept of collaborative care well I think um, you know some of our work certainly is to uh, gather the research and uh, so on that will inform policy so we're certainly keen to contribute to to that um, I also think that part of our, our particular work, uh, we're a unique, we're actually a social mission business, um, Gordon, and so we've, we've really come into this saying how can we most broadly disseminate this information about the role and the value of um, a, a circle of care and the role of family caregivers, how can we get this out and enable collaborative care? as widely and broadly as possible and and we've done that in a in a really in a social innovation essentially that is ties you know we've taken network knowledge combined it with the web and um, blended sources of funding from uh, the public sector the private sector and the community sector to do it and uh, i think the model itself is one that could be used by many other um, um, individuals and organizations who want to get proven solutions out into the world 
Let's talk. Proven solutions is a very good term because it has to work and it has to be shown to work to make the case for more support. I, that's always the way in this life. So let, let me ask you, it's exactly the same question, but what more can be done by the community as a whole? Well, um, I, I will say that, you know, I, I believe we are uh, absolutely hardwired to care for one another. And um, in our in our experience, uh, because often creating a network for an individual uh, does involve uh, reaching out and asking others to participate, to contribute. And, you know, it may be a, a neighbor, it might be a cousin, it might be, um, you know, an, an old school chum sometimes. And I will say that um, the community is ready to say yes, and we see it all the time. Where people are anxious, they want to help, and they just don't know how. And um, I think that it could, we could do more as a community, though, in also reaching out, not being so shy about about helping one another, uh, continuing to offer uh, support to those around us who uh, who we know are struggling. And and there's um, you know there's three things that we can provide certainly as uh, one is information. Group solutions, uh, group ideas are fantastic. Uh, secondly, we can provide actually instrumental support, just offer to drive individuals places, you know, try to just be really clear about what we can do. And um, the third thing that we can do is provide emotional support and just listen. So those are some of the, uh, the community pieces. And then if we get the much broader community realm, I do think we collectively need to be looking at, again, this realm of uh, policy and uh, regulatory reform that will enable uh, natural systems of care to, to do what only they can do. Let's just talk about the regulatory reform and public policy and all those kinds of things. Where would you see um, the greatest openness? And I'm talking very generally now to the kind of things you're doing. Would it be with the hospital community, with the social services? Where would be the best place, in other words, to start? You know, I don't know if I could say for sure. Where we're definitely seeing a lot of uptake is in our ministries of health. Uh, people in public service today within healthcare systems are really and truly seeing the limitations of, of the resources. They know that we're going to, we're coming under a lot of fiscal restraint, and so there's interest there. I've also seen a very interesting group of uh, physicians. Uh, 2% of our TIES users are actually physicians, which is, uh, you know, it's interesting. So we've got these very early adopters, physicians who are interested you know, they too see the limitations of what they can do in the current context they're dealing with more and more complex healthcare scenarios and um, they're they're looking for ways to collaborate so those would be a couple of uh, trends I would see as as the places to to be reaching out and collaborating with now let's talk about the family caregivers what more they can do um, you've used the term innovation um, that is, people coming up with ideas to solve their own problems, which also serve to solve other people's problems, if I can put it that way. People who have the experience of going through family caregiving with needs that really weren't being well, well enough provided for. So, what more 
I, I want you to take the role of the politician here now, Vicky. I'm going to put you on a platform, a public platform. Um, you, I want an election address from you, addressed to family caregivers, what you as and they can do together to innovate things like collaborative caring. Vicky? Well, family caregivers, we need you. It's only with you that we will have uh, the best health outcomes. It's only with you uh, that uh, your loved ones will have good lives. And we need your input and your advice about how best to support you to do what only you can do. We need uh, your ideas. Uh, we need your innovation. As a, as a, a government, uh, we have resources, uh, we ought, we ha and we have traditional responses, and we have locked-in, difficult, policy-tight corners, and we're desperate for innovation. Uh, and this innovation, uh, you, you are a profound resource for innovation. So our work is to look for ways to how best to support you and to look for ways to how best to get your knowledge, your expertise and your advice into our systems in order to reform them. Now I'm going to take the role of, the, of a member of the public uh, who's considering voting for you. Um, do you think that all those systems, government agencies and the rest of them, actually know enough about the things that we family caregivers are going through? Do they know enough about our stories? What do you think? I believe that uh, many, many, many more of us understand what it's like to be a family caregiver. We have a, a generation of, um, of baby boomers who are moving into systems of care. We've had our, you know, our first generation of, of parents who are living much longer as well. Uh, so there is certainly some knowledge there. I think where the missing link is, is really in the answers, is finding the answers or, or the solutions that are generated by people themselves and figuring out how to enable those. And I would say one example of a solution generated by people themselves is the model of a network of care. Uh, I think there are other um, you know, financial uh, models that are being developed by people themselves as well. Uh, something you featured, I think, earlier on your program, the Registered Disability Savings Plan, for example. So it's about getting that information into the system. The experience of the caregiver, I believe many, many more of our politicians and our public servants understand. It's the solutions uh, that are missing. Um, thank you. Um, I'm going to vote for you. <laughs> <laughs> I've never run for office before, Gordon. So <laughs> that was great. Made a start. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, no, very seriously, to say back to you, yes to all of those things. That's um, 
why this program is called Family Caregivers Unite with the exclamation point is simply because this is a movement among people in society to change the way things are done in a positive direction. And um, having been an elected politician once in my life, uh, I think that's what all politicians really feel that they would like to do. Now, um, I'm afraid we've come to the end of this show and I want to, this episode and I want to say thank you to our listeners. Please do email us with comments and questions. I want to say thank you to Vicky Kermak for sharing with us your experience, your insights and your advice and also your public policy for the future. Uh, that uh, is one thing that I shall take away. And I, on behalf of all of us, wish you every, every continued success in your work. Now, our next episode... We're going to be talking about faith healing, faith and family caregiving. So please join us. Same spot on the dial, same spot on the internet. Talk to you then. Thank you again for joining us this week for Family Caregivers Unite with your host, Dr. Gordon Atherley. Please tune in again next Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. And until then, we hope our program will help make the coming week easier and more hopeful. And I do appreciate you being right.